Hello, I'm Sarah Maxwell with Oncology Times Broadcast News, joining forces with the Audio Journal of Oncology. In this edition, we have a special focus on non-small cell lung cancer, with interviews from three big conferences. Coming up, speakers from Vienna. We had a major breakthrough in a difficult-to-treat disease with clinical relevant progress by improving the survival. From Ann Arbor, Michigan. I think it's an, another study that shows that targeted therapies improve survival in the treatment of advanced lung cancer. We'll have news from England. Much of the difference in survival between those countries is likely to be attributable to investment in health systems and healthcare resources more generally, and certainly not just in terms of access to drugs. And we'll be getting comments on the news from Turin. The problem is that the amount of the improvement in survival is marginal because it's only six weeks. As well as Heidelberg, Germany and Manchester in the UK via Turin. The American study had uh, progression-free survival and overall survival at the primary endpoint and they both had a significant superiority. The big issue is what is the clinical meaningfulness of both trials. Did you recognise any of those experts? They all took part in three important cancer conferences this year. ASCO, of course, the European Lung Cancer Congress and the National Cancer Research Institute's meeting that took place just recently in Birmingham, England. And that's where we will start, with a look at cancer outcomes in different regions of the world and among different groups of people. A survival deficit has been discovered in the Concord study that looked at international patterns of five-year survival among patients diagnosed with colorectal, prostate or breast cancers in 31 different rich and poor countries. Peter Goodwin asked author Michelle Coleman what they found in Concord. A very wide range of survival across 31 countries worldwide, including the USA and Canada in North America, but also Cuba and Brazil in South America, Japan, Australia, uh, Algeria from uh, Northern Africa and a number of European countries. Um, we discovered very wide ranges in survival, typically low, uh, the lowest in Algeria and often in Brazil, uh, but also in the poorer Eastern European nations that were able to contribute. We also found substantial differences in survival between blacks and whites in the USA. That's not news, but this study was able to show that that pattern was held true, if you like, across 40% of the US population, whereas only previously about 10% of the US population has been covered by those data. And from your analysis of the Concord data, what do you hold to be the principal reasons for these differences in cancer outcome? Well, at this point, it is a question of interpretation rather than analysis that suggests that much of the difference in survival between those countries is likely to be attributable to investment in health systems and healthcare resources more generally, and certainly not just in terms of access to drugs. Michelle Coleman of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, who delivered a plenary session talk at the biggest UK cancer conference of the year about this survival deficit in cancer outcomes. Now, the possibility of extending life for the million or more patients each year diagnosed with advanced non-small cell lung cancer. Cetuximab, which is a monoclonal antibody to the epidermal growth factor receptor, or EGFR, has extended life when combined with chemotherapy. This was in the International Phase 3 FLEX study among patients who were positive for EGFR and had any histology. 
For patients with non-squamous histology, chemotherapy plus bevacizumab, the antivascular endothelial growth factor receptor, or VEGF agent, is already approved. At the Birmingham conference, Robert Perker presented his latest news from the cetuximab study. We'll hear some of what he had to say there in a minute, but first I'd like to share with you what he told me about Flex just after he had released the first data at the ASCO meeting in Chicago. We had a randomized phase 3 trial, patients, eligible patients who had to express the uh, DHF receptor in their tumor cells were randomized into either chemo plus cetuximab followed by cetuximab as a maintenance treatment or chemotherapy alone. And you had some results that you spoke about earlier. Can you run me through what you saw? The main endpoint of the trial was overall survival. And the aim of the trial was to demonstrate superior overall survival for chemo plus cetuximab compared to chemo alone. And we did meet this primary endpoint. We could show for a rather broad patient population with all histologies uh, that cetuximab added to chemotherapy improved survival. Um, can you quantify for me how much of an improvement it made because you saw a benefit for all subgroups of the disease? The overall benefit was if the hazard ratio was 0.87 for the total patient population which, which translates into an absolute gain in the one year survival of 5%. If you take the major patient population which was the Caucasian, more than 900 patients, the hazard ratio was 0.8, so we had a 20% risk reduction, statistically significant, and this translated in an absolute gain of 8% at one year. These are for patients with a short life expectancy and limited treatment options, but you've made a, a dramatic impact on survival here, but at what cost? So what is the safety profile looking like? Yes, you're right. Uh, we had a major breakthrough in a difficult-to-treat disease with a clinically relevant uh, progress by improving the survival. And I think the cost, that the side effects were reasonable, they were well known. The most important cetuximab-related side effect was acne-like skin rash, and that was managed. So we knew the side effects. So I think that's one of the important findings also, that the gain in survival is at the uh, reasonable uh, cost with regard to side effects so we don't have major uh, life-threatening any life-threatening side effects such as skin rash which we usually can manage in the vast majority of our patients. Now bevacizumab has been approved in non-small cell lung cancer but cetuximab is yet to be approved. Where does this leave bevacizumab in the picture then in combating the disease? Uh, bevacizumab is and a drug that is approved for the use in selected patients, particularly patients with non squamous cell histologies and no risk of bleedings. And cetuximab uh, is, has been studied in a much broader patient population. So I think there will be more opportunities, most probably, for cetuximab. And, uh, and Avastinumab will play its role, most probably, as as so far in his selected patient population, but we can also think how we could combine two active drugs in the future to further improve the outcome. You described this earlier as a major clinical step forward in the treatment of non-small cell lung cancer. What would be your main message for the practicing community? 
my main message would be that we now can combine chemotherapy, first-line chemotherapy in patients with advanced non-small-lung cancer with a new uh, antibody, cetuximab. And by this, we can improve the survival of our patients. Robert Perker from the Medical University of Vienna, talking to me at ASCO. While I was at the ASCO session, I couldn't resist asking for comments on the flex results from the chairperson, Howard Sandler. I think it's an, another study that shows that targeted therapies improve survival in the treatment of advanced lung cancer. It's the first targeted therapy in the uh, EGF pathway to show an advantage. And coming on top of the negative trials, looking at the tyrosine kinase inhibitors in that pathway, I think it's very exciting. And I think it's an important and clinically meaningful benefit that he observed. And there was no impact on PFS, but a a very significant impact on overall survival and, in fact, the largest we've seen with cetuximab. Yes. The most important endpoint for an individual patient with with a fatal lung cancer is how long they're going to live. And I think think his study showed that there is a statistically significant and clinically important um, benefit. We would all wish that the magnitude of the benefit was even more than they observed. But I think it's a real benefit, and it, it opens up new avenues to explore in the targeted therapy realm, including potential combinations of both VEGF pathway inhibition and EGF pathway inhibition together. That was session chair Howard Sandler from the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. So what's the view on these data from Europe? Just a few days ago, we turned to one of Italy's leading lung cancer specialists, Giorgio Scagliotti from the University of Turin. On the telephone from Italy, he told us what he makes of the FLEX data. The study obviously is uh, uh, positive for the primary endpoint that is overall survival. The problem is that the amount of the uh, improvement in survival is uh, marginal because it's only six weeks. And uh, we need also to consider the toxicity profile and we need to consider overall uh, the trade-off between activity and toxicities. Another point is the absolute absence of any benefit in terms of progression-free survival. In addition to that, as Dr. Pirker mentioned before, probably we need to make additional digging into the data to understand if there is the possibility to discover a better subgroup of patient in which there is a larger benefit from adding cetuximum to cytotoxic chemotherapy. Giorgio Scagliotti, who's head of thoracic oncology at Turin University. Robert Perker told us that in metastatic disease, the hard endpoint of death was more clinically relevant than progression-free survival. And he said there was no increase at all in deaths related to toxicity in patients having cetuximab added to their chemotherapy. At the Birmingham conference, Peter Goodwin asked him if the gain of only five or six weeks in overall survival was enough to get excited about. It's true that the median gain was 1.2 months, but of course that is an average uh, value and there will be patients who have much larger benefits. And so we will now have the next one of the next strategies to find out ways 
to characterize those patients who particularly benefit and in whom the, the difference or the benefit much, might be much greater. But even taking this benefit of 1.2 months, uh, one has to consider that lung cancer is a very common disease and more than one million people are affected, affected annually worldwide. So you could even argue that, let's say, approximately 40 to 50 percent of them will have stage 4 disease. So you have 500,000 to 1 million people who will benefit by 1.2 months by this treatment. Do you think then that doctors should regard the treatment of non-small cell lung cancer in this advanced stage as having moved on? The treatment has moved on and I see it as a step forward because it's one of the few trials that really has shown a survival benefit when adding a targeted treatment to advanced non-small cell lung cancer. Lung cancer is a very complex and difficult to treat disease, so any benefit has a major impact because we know that's difficult to treat and we also know that it's a it's a major worldwide health problem. So even small increases will have a an important impact. However, I do agree that we need now further uh, studies, uh, research, in order to characterize the responding patients. So that's certainly an important area. And there are ways either using molecular markers of the tumors, maybe we can also figure out some clinical parameters, such for example, the development of skin rash. But we have to look into this and particularly we have to prospectively study these parameters. Where does all of this leave cetuximab in comparison with the tyrosine kinase inhibitors, do you think, in this setting? At the moment, cetuximab should be used mainly in combination with chemotherapy and in the first-line setting, and EGF receptor-directed tyrosine kinase inhibitors uh, will still play their role or continue to play their role in pretreated patients. And there is even, of course, the, the question, can we combine both agents? Also, this uh, possibility has to be studied in the future. Robert Perker from the Medical University of Vienna. Right now, you can combine the anti-VEGF monoclonal antibody bevacizumab with chemotherapy to treat advanced non-small cell lung cancer, provided your patients have non-squamous histology. If the anti-EGFR agent, cetuximab, is approved, you'll be able to combine this monoclonal antibody with chemotherapy to treat patients who have either squamous or non-squamous histology. On the telephone line from Turin, we asked Giorgio Scagliotti to compare these two monoclonal antibody-containing regimens. You cannot compare the two uh, patient population because uh, you cannot cross-compare the results of one study with the results of another study because the patient population are completely different. Now, in this case, uh, the, the patient population covered all the histological subtypes in the, in the FLAC study, while for toxicity reasons, the, in, the, in the Avastin studies, only patients with non-squamous histologies were selected. This is the point number one. In, in addition to that, we need to consider carefully because the, in terms of patient and, and, and disease, disease characteristics, one study cannot be compared with the other and any conclusion, any cross-comparison may, may be potentially biased. Words of caution there from Giorgio Scagliotti, talking on the phone line from Italy. And in his hometown of Turin, the 2008 European Congress on Lung Cancer was held, not long before ASCO. 
The use of bevacizumab for patients with advanced non-small cell lung cancer who have non-squamous histology was debated during this conference by Nick Thatcher and Christian Manigold. Peter Goodwin met up with them afterwards and began by first asking Christian to run through the evidence we have for using bevacizumab. The evidence comes from two randomized phase uh, three trials, the ECOG 4599 trial and the AVEEL trial. Both trials uh, have, the, have the same intention to test Avastin in combination with standard chemotherapy, with different standard chemotherapies. In, in the AVEEL trial we have gemcitabine cis as a, as a more accepted European standard and in the other study it was a, a study mainly conducted in the US, the ECOG 4599, they used Carbotax in combination with, with Avastin and there, is also, there was also a difference in dosing. We used two dosages and the American, Americans just had one, one um, 50 milligram per kilogram dose. Could you summarize the outcomes of these two studies? The both studies are positive studies in my mind. They they had different endpoints. The 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 American study had uh, progression-free survival and overall survival at the primary endpoint, and they both had a significant superiority um, for the for the Avastin. And in the in the Avail trial, progression-free survival was the endpoint, and there was also statistically significant superiority for the combination, the triplet. Now, if I could bring you, Nick Thatcher, in on this, um, I'd like to come back to you in a moment, Christian, if I may. Um, but do you see any difficulties with these analyses that you've heard so far? Well, they were both very well conducted, large randomized phase three trials. The one difficulty that we have is that, in general, we like to see two trials in the same direction. In the AVAIL trial, we still do not have the overall survival result and we don't know the clinical relevance of a PFS which is not supported by any quality of life data. So although both trials hit their primary endpoints, the big issue is what is the clinical meaningfulness of both trials. The other point I just make is that there are some pretty strict entry criteria and exclusion criteria which are somewhat unusual in oncology and therefore for this drug to be used safely, the doctors have to be very, very careful on selecting the right patients. Now, there are things like hypertension. Um, the age of the patient is relevant too, isn't it? Yes, it's a very difficult to treat disease and uh, we have to be happy with, uh, with small steps forward. And in which patients do you think bevacizumab might be justified? Well, certainly the non-squamous pathologies, uh, patients who don't have the risk factors uh, that were identified in the clinical trials. And just to come on to your uh, question that Christian had, I think there have been an amazing advance actually just over the last two to three years in the adenocarcinoma or rather the non-squamous cell subtype because we're seeing really quite interesting improvements in survival in that particular pathology. Nick Thatcher from the Christie Hospital in Manchester and before him Christian Manigold of Heidelberg University in Mannheim talking in Turin at the European Congress on Lung Cancer. Squamous cell pathologies, of course, are the territory for the anti-EGFR monoclonal antibody, cetuximab. But does Giorgio Scagliotti think either of these monoclonal antibodies are ready for prime time yet in regimens for advanced non-small cell lung cancer? I don't think so. I believe that uh, the, the, from a regulatory point of view, uh, the, the Avastin got, got already approval 
and I, I can I don't know what will happen for cetuximab. Uh, as a clinician, I believe that the evidence that we have is still limited uh, about the real efficacy of adding these expensive drugs to cytotoxic chemotherapy. Giorgio Scagliotti from Turin University, ending our brief review of some of the new developments with molecular drug-containing regimens for treating non-small cell lung cancer. You've been listening to Oncology Times Broadcast News with the Audio Journal of Oncology. We have lots more for you in the next edition, so do come check a website or an iPod near you. And that's all for now. From me, Sarah Maxwell, goodbye.